Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Well, good morning, everybody. For anybody that doesn't know me, I'm Angie, and I've been part of the church for probably 25 years plus. And this morning, I'm delighted to say that my subject is Jesus is everything. So I'm really pleased to be able to speak about that. And to begin with, we are going to dig into the word of God. So we're going to read quite a long passage from Mark chapter one. So I'm going to read from verse 1 of Mark 1 all the way down to verse 34. So let's dig into this passage. And while we're reading, perhaps you'd like to see if you can notice anything that suggests speed, like immediately or without delay. There's a couple of hints. So the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. I like to think of Mark's gospel as the action movie of the gospels because it's very fast paced. Notice at the beginning, he doesn't bother with genealogies like Matthew and Luke, and he doesn't tell us any birth stories. We're straight in and he tells us that this is the good news and it's about Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. And so history reaches a climax at this point. Everything that we've read up to now in the Old Testament points to Jesus. In Genesis, at the fall, God said to Eve, your seed would crush Satan's head. And we're told that through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. So all the covenants, the Passover, everything, the tabernacle, if we look, we see it all points to Jesus. And we can read our Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, and then it all makes sense. In Hebrews, the writer says that God spoke in time past through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And this is really a climatic event in history there had been 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. They hadn't heard any word from the prophets. But now, onto the scene comes this strange character, John the Baptist. <clears throat> and, uh, excuse me, and Mark quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. He said, where it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And we read that John the Baptist wore camel's hair, a leather belt. He was uh, eating locusts and wild honey. He's a very strange sort of person. And he would have been very like the prophet Elijah, who was probably a very terrifying person if you ever actually met him. But we notice that John this is just a little bit of extra information, was eating locusts, and locusts are devourers. If you get a plague of locusts, they devour a whole crop in a matter of minutes. And so he was devouring the devourer. But at the same time, he was eating honey, and honey is a picture of the word of God. Now in Malachi, God said that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, in Malachi 4 verse 5, God would send Elijah. 
And still today, when the Jews celebrate Passover, they set a place for Elijah. And then in the middle of the meal, someone will go and look and see if Elijah's at the door because they're still waiting for him to come. But Jesus, in another gospel, in Matthew eleven fourteen, he said to his disciples about John the Baptist, if you're able to receive it, this is the Elijah who was to come. He didn't mean that Elijah, that John the Baptist was a reincarnation of Elijah. It just meant that he was the Elijah figure that God had said would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, what was what John doing when he wasn't eating locusts and wild honey? He was baptizing in the River Jordan. Now, the River Jordan was the river that the Israelites had crossed over to enter the promised land. And God had given them a mission. And that mission was to be a light to the Gentiles, to show the nations around what it was like to be God's people. But they hadn't fulfilled that mission. Instead of being different and separate, they had mingled with the other nations and they'd worshipped their gods. So they had, in fact, failed in the mission that God had given them. So John's inviting them to come and repent. He's rebooting their history, if you like. Come to the Jordan, where you crossed over originally, Come and be baptized and repent and come back to God and get right. And that's what he's asking them to do. Now then, Jesus comes onto the scene. And actually, when we read Jesus came from Nazareth in verse 9, it's a bit like, almost like saying, Fred came from Rawns because Jesus was a very common name. He wasn't the only one that was called Jesus. And Nazareth wasn't a particularly wonderful town, and of course Rawns is, but <clears throat> it, came, it came from Nazareth. So nobody would have thought when he walked up to John, nobody would have particularly noticed him maybe. But Jesus, John noticed him. They were related, I believe. And so Jesus came to be baptized. Now, in the other Gospels, we hear about there's a bit of a discussion between Jesus and John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist tells him he can't baptize him because he's got no need to repent. And Jesus says, well, we're doing this anyway, to paraphrase. And he was baptized. So why was he baptized then if he hadn't sinned and he didn't need to repent? Well, Later on in the Gospels, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And the vine in Scripture was a picture of Israel. So he's saying, I am the true Israel. In other words, I've come to be and I've come to do what Israel failed to do. And not only that, he's come to be a second Adam. The Bible calls him the second Adam. So Adam had failed and sinned, and the Israelites had not succeeded in their ministry. But Jesus has come to put it right. Jesus is everything. He is the fulfillment of Scripture, and he has come to put things right. So we read that when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit opened heaven and a voice came, the voice of the Father said, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. 
And again, if we relate this back to the Old Testament, we know that in Ezekiel chapter 1, the prophet says, I was by the Kibar River and the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And then in Isaiah 46, the prophet cries out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And now is the moment. Now is the moment in history when God has done that. He's opened the heavens and he has come down to deal with our sin and our failures. He's come down in the person of his son. He always knew that things would go wrong and he always planned that he would come and deliver us. So this is the climatic moment because he's come down and, in, and then we get an at once, at once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. Now, we notice from that that in the wilderness, there were wild beasts, and he's tempted by Satan. Adam was tempted, but he was tempted in a garden where the beasts were all tame, and he failed. Jesus is the new Adam. He goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted in the desolate place where there are wild beasts. And he does not fail. He succeeds. He overcomes the testing and temptation of the enemy. So he's the second Adam. He's come to bear our sins and deal with everything. And now the whole of human history is going to change because God has opened the heavens and come down. At the very beginning of the gospel, it says the beginning of the good news, which echoes Genesis. And Jesus then comes along in verse 14 after John was in prison and he, he begins to preach and he proclaims the good news. The word for good news is euangelion in the Greek and it was the word that would be used of a proclamation. When a battle had been fought and won, they would go out with a proclamation of victory or if a prince was born, there would be a proclamation. So Jesus is making this proclamation. The time has come. God has come down. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now in Isaiah 52 and verse 7, we read about how the watchmen are looking for the one who bears good news. And it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now the kingdom, the word kingdom means the king's domain. It's where the king reigns. And Jesus is saying, that God reigns. I've come to tell you that God reigns. And he doesn't just say it, he proves it by action. So what do we read that he did? He um, called the disciples who left their nets and followed him. He went into Capernaum and there was a man there who was demonized and he cast out the demon. He healed the sick, he healed Simon's Peter's mother-in-law and he healed practically everybody in the village that they brought to him. He's dealing with everything that has oppressed men and women, the demonic, sickness, 
And later on, we read how he calms the storms, he raises the dead. He's demonstrating that the kingdom of God is here now in him. 1 John 3.8 says the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And that's just what Jesus did. He dealt with everything that oppresses us. And so it's a kind of new exodus in the Old Testament. They were in slavery in Egypt and God brought them out. And then in Exodus 15, when they came out through the Red Sea and the Egyptians were drowned, they say in in Exodus 15, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, both horse and rider he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. That's the first time the word salvation is mentioned. But now Jesus has come and it's a second exodus. It's a second coming out figuratively from oppression. He's bringing us out of oppression and he's come to demonstrate that the kingdom is near. Now at the beginning of Mark, we are told that this is about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So we know who Jesus is. The readers know that he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. The demons know, because the demonized man cried out, we know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? But they are told to be quiet. But then... The people in the gospel don't know. James and John don't know who he is. They just know that he's this wonderful rabbi. And um, same with Simon and Andrew. They follow him because obviously something about him. But they don't yet know who he is. So the reader knows, the demons know, and everybody else in in this story, in this gospel story, is trying to work out who he is. And then one day... Peter realizes who he is because in Mark chapter 8 when they were on their on the villages around Caesarea Philippi Jesus says to them on the way who do people say that I am and they replied some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and still others one of the prophets they're all trying to figure it out they don't know who this man is who is he? He casts out demons. He heals the sick. Who is this man? But Peter says, when he says to them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And then what does Jesus say? Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. Now you would think, wouldn't you? They've got the idea that he's the Messiah. Why can't they just tell everybody now? Why can't it? be out in the open. Scholars call it the messianic secret. They've got to stay quiet. They can't tell people who he is. And I believe that is because they knew he was the Messiah. They got it, but they didn't get it. Because who they expected him to be, he wasn't that Messiah. He was the Messiah, but what they thought he would be, he wasn't going to be that. 
They expected that the great and terrible day of the Lord would come and God would deal with all these wicked Gentiles. He would overthrow the Romans and he would set up the kingdom of God on the earth there and then. But that wasn't what Jesus had come to do. He had come for another reason. And he tells the disciples about this. He tells them in... um, In verse 31, he begins to teach them, it says, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, he's telling them this, and twice more in this gospel, he tells them, but they don't get it. For some reason, they can't understand. And I want to put it to you that there are people today who want Jesus to be the kind of Messiah that they want him to be. Maybe you do, maybe not. You see, some people say, well, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a great teacher, wasn't he? Wasn't he a fantastic humanitarian? Look at how he fed the 5,000. Look at how he healed the sick. He was a really good man. No, that's not who he was. That might have been part of who he was, but you can't have that. C.S. Lewis says that anyone who made the claims that Jesus did, he says he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You see, we can't make Jesus be who we want him to be. He is who he is. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah, the savior. He will not be a good teacher. Because if you just say he's a good teacher or a great humanitarian, you can just say, well, that's good and walk away. But Jesus from then on, confronted them with the cross. After Peter's confession, it was all about the cross. And we read, don't we, that Jesus spoke plainly to them and told them what was going to happen. And what does Peter do? Peter says, no, 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 no. You can't do that, Lord. You're the Messiah. You've got to overthrow the Romans. You've got to to set up the kingdom of God on the earth. And Jesus' answer is, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He won't be what we want him to be. He is who he is, and he has to go to the cross. And so now, in this gospel, it becomes all about the cross. There are only three more miracles after this. And he keeps teaching the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to die. But they they don't get it. They don't understand who he is. And what I want to say to you is that no one can understand Jesus without the cross. That's why he told them to be quiet. They weren't to spread it about. Every demon that said, you're the son of God, he said, be quiet. You're the Messiah. Be quiet because you don't understand who I really am. And the question today is, 
do I, do you understand who Jesus really is? You see, there was one person right at the end of Jesus' life, right at the end of this gospel, who confessed who Jesus was. And that's, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a centurion. And he just watched Jesus die. And after he watched Jesus die, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Nobody told him to be quiet. All through Jesus' ministry, anybody that said it was told to be quiet. Now, this Gentile says, surely this man was the son of God. And nobody told him to be quiet. Why? Because we only can understand who Jesus is if we come to the cross. He won't be your good teacher. He won't be a philosopher. He won't be just a humanitarian. He is the son of God who gave up his life on the cross to die and pay for all the things we do, say and think, all our fears, all our failures were put on that cross with Jesus and he died to take them in our place. We deserved to go to the cross, but he took that pain, he took that punishment in our place. And that's how we have to understand him as our Messiah, as our saviour. He came to pay for our wrongdoing and make a way back to God. That is why Jesus is everything, so much more than a good man. But if we say and if we accept that Jesus is the Messiah who died on the cross for us, that is news that requires a response. You see, this good news requires a response. If I said to you, oh, the building's on fire, you wouldn't all just sit there and say, oh yeah, thanks. Thanks for telling me. You'd be grabbing your stuff and you'd be out that fire exit as quick as you could, wouldn't you? But this news of the gospel, that Jesus died on that cross, he is the son of God, God himself coming down to take the punishment for our wrongdoing. That requires a response. So what will you do with this good news? What will you do about it? If the building's on fire, you're not just going to sit there and say, okay. You're going to respond by getting up and getting out of the building. And so I just want to say to you today that Jesus is everything. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. He is the fulfillment of everything that God was talking about in the Old Testament. He has come to make a way back to God. He died and he rose again, but it requires a response. And the response is that we need to then come to Jesus and tell him that we need him to be our saviour and our Lord. And I want to invite now, if you've never, ever done that, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord, today you have the opportunity to respond to this good news and to say, yes, Jesus, I, I'm, I know that you weren't just a good man, 
I know that you were the son of God who died on a cross to pay for my sin. And I want to come to you now and ask your forgiveness and make you my Lord. And so I'm just going to pray now and ask the Holy Spirit to come while we just think about who Jesus is and how we need to embrace the cross and just ask God what he wants to do, really. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.